Thinkers and Creators. I'm your host, Sean Fry, and today I'm joined by Jamin Zeiler. Yes. And we're going to discuss <laughs> his career in creating. He's, he's been, um, he is a, uh, a luthier who is, as we talked about earlier today, we talked about that's someone who makes guitars, and also he's a performer and an all-around interesting man with a lot, of, a lot to say, I believe. Um, Jamin, so the first thing we were kind of discussing just a little bit before we got started, and you were talking about your influences of your parents and how your parents really shaped you yeah. and and they created in you a sense of uh, confidence. Confidence. How well, so? Well, you know, I think parents, their main job is to be there. Yeah. You know, to be around. Well, everything I did when I was younger, no matter what I got into, my dad wanted to do it with me. You know, I, I grew up, you know, with a hundred acres to play in, it wasn't ours, but it was our neighbors, and they were our my age. They had kids, yeah, as well, and uh, they were they were my buddies. And so we we hunted. Uh, this is outside of Pittsburgh, okay. And uh, I mean, I carried a shotgun around when I was ten years old, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, my dad was all. They were just always there. My mom too. My mom worried a lot. So uh, you know. When you're young and you're um, rambunctious, the worrying parent you kind of like want to want to avoid. If right, you know right, what I mean? right. My dad was always mellow and would say, "Ah, Louise, you know, calm down. He's okay. He'll be know? fine. Yeah, he'll, he'll be, be fine." fine. Now, and, uh, now, were your parents are they were they musically inclined or my dad? My dad was. My mom, she loved to sing, but she couldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. So what did your dad play? He played guitar. Okay. And he sang, and he loved uh, old country and blues. Okay. Basically what I'm doing with uh, yeah. Dennis Henderson. I was telling you about him. Earlier. So did you all, between you and your father, did you have a lot of similar, like if, you know, if he said this really good song, were you like... Agreeing, or were you like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't see you know, it. It's funny because my grandfather played too. Okay, my grandfather played mandolin and sang and harmonica. I have his harmonica holder that you know, nice, the yeah, on Bob Dylan thing. And uh, we would go over to visit him on weekends, and there he would be with his mandolin and a tape recorder. Okay, you know, just recording stuff. I wasn't interested in music until I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. At nine years old. The original 1964 yeah, okay, okay. performance. And wow. I said to my dad shortly after that, Dad, I want to play guitar like you and Grandpa. <laughs> he says, okay, we'll go get you one then. So what, <laughs> what, about, what about that performance though? Like what caught you at nine? I mean, what, what hooked you? They looked like they were all buddies having fun. Yeah. There was no, I think what the Beatles did is, is like before the Beatles, there was a Buddy Holly and mm-hmm. the Crickets. Mm-hmm. Elvis Presley, uh, the Everly Brothers were right. a duo, but there was no like real bands. They weren't that popular then to have like the crickets alone. They had to be. You always a, had a leader. A name. Right. With yeah. the Beatles, it was four guys. And that, I think that's what they did to America and everywhere. They said, look, you can get together with your friends. Yeah. And you could play music. Hence the garage band. Right. storm that happened back then. So which in my neighborhood, all the older guys, five years older than us, yeah, those were the guys we drove our bikes to go see, you know. They're like Tom Petty's age. Yeah. You know, those guys, six, they're, I'm 63. They were like, six, they'd be 67 or 8 now. Right, right. And, um, and we had one. We started our own band. At, at nine years old? At 10. 10, okay. Drummer had, you know, cardboard boxes, and his mother <laughs> went and bought him a snare drum and a kick drum and a cymbal. 
I, I always love hat. I always love on stories like this too. You know, when you're like yeah. getting together like that, mm-hmm. of of how the parents encouraged. You know, like how you're because mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, I realize things change in pricing, but it's not always cheap to come up with money for instruments. It's not, and you know, my dad, uh, just like most of uh, the baby boomers, their their parents were uh, World War II vets, right? And we went into a hardware store, and there were there were Japanese guitars hanging on a Lazy Susan. Yeah, and. Uh, I said, oh, I love that one, Daddy. He goes, oh, made in Japan, huh? And he said something like, ah, oh, you know, forgive and forget, I guess. We'll take it. I mean, my dad was pretty, pretty good thinker. So what was, yeah. what, was the, what was the name of your first, I mean, what was the first guitar then? It was, yeah, I know the name because I yeah. looked it up last year. It was a St. George uh, Tysco. No, no, uh, uh, it was a St. George model. Yeah, Tysco. How long did you have it for? I don't know. Oh, okay. Do you now? I wish I still had it. So the first time, do you have any memory of playing it? And what it was oh, yeah. like? I remember learning a C chord. Okay. I remember my dad showing it to me, and and him saying something shortly thereafter. Yeah, you know, just you got it. <laughs> just play, you know. And I and I really don't remember playing. I just remember playing. Yeah, yeah. that's how it was. And you know, it was that's, that's it was kind of a gift. It really is. I feel like I I was meant to do that. That's that's kind of funny though, because that was the first chord my my father showed me, like yeah, the C chord, right? And Which, it's not the easiest one. No, it seemed. I mean, it, but it's my little fingers. Covers, I mean, yeah. I just. I mean, I I struggled yeah. with it. I mean, struggled struggled so much. I became a drummer for a number of years. <laughs> that's, how, that's how much I struggled that's with right. it. But but that memory though, just you know that you know on that second second string there, where you put the on the first fret and you put that down. You're trying to get yeah. that right pressure and that yeah. to make some sound come out of it. So I you know. had that you had that guitar. You had a yeah, band. We have we have that burned in our brains, don't we? That first chord. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I do. I remember where I was sitting and what I was. You know, why not a D? A D would have been so much better. D, an He's open a D. Easier. Yeah. That's what I showed my brother later. Was it? Okay. And, my, and my brother has the talent too. He picked it up quick, but he just never worked on it. Yeah. So, I mean, he could play, but he don't. Well, it's kind of, it's, it's an odd passion you have to have and you can't really teach that. It's true. You it just, is a passion. You just have to, I mean, it's not, it's not a knock. It's just some people just don't have it. They, yeah. Or, it, you know, for some reason, getting up on stage in front of people is exciting for me. Right. Yeah. First, the first time we did it, we played the lead singer. We were the Outlets. That was our first band. It's probably 66, and his grandfather was retiring. We played at his retirement party. Uh, how many songs did you guys we have? We played three. Okay, okay, three songs. And my memory says Twist and Shout, uh, Wild Thing, Man. Maybe, yeah, yeah, and Gloria. Oh, nice. A little, I'm not sure little, about Wild Thing. Well, Van Morrison. Can't quite remember, remember them, them, right? Yeah. There's somewhere there's a photo. Nice. And I haven't, I, it's, the lead singer couldn't sing. Joey couldn't sing, but he was our buddy. So he had to do something. And his mother was really excited. <laughs> I think that's how Van Halen took and off. That, that, yeah. And um, that's right. Joey couldn't sing. But, and then one day he was sick and I started singing and everybody looked at me and said, you could really do that. I'm like, I, I guess I can, you know, I'm sure let's play it again. So were you surprised when people said that to you? Or? Yeah, because okay. I opened up to sing uh, Twist and Shout. Yeah. And I just I just remember doing it. Right, right. Just it probably sounded terrible but <laughs> for, you know, as a if 10 he's or worse than you though. <laughs> yeah. For a 10 or 11 year old, you know, it was uh, Don't we follow were all the excited. prodigy, yeah. you know. Be, be but the, we kept him in the band. We didn't So what did he play? Guitar? Did you learn guitar or bass? He didn't play anything. Joey oh. was the front guy. Singing Not. out of tune. I wish I had a recording of it. <laughs> Might surprise me. Maybe he was in tune. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was ahead of all of you. Yeah. He was, a, he was more of a sharp. But he it was, didn't sound good to us. <laughs> he was more of a sharp. So you, okay, so you start, you know, you're kind of gigging around, you're playing, and then um, 
I guess, I guess kind of moving forward or fast forwarding or whatever, at what point did you kind of see like, this is something you had to do? Like you had to, I would say it happened when we moved to Akron. Okay. Um, and who's we, the family. Okay. My dad was bricklayer. Okay. And a contractor. And he was hired by a guy from Akron to, uh, to come out and build warehouses and a Kmart. Okay. So we moved to Akron and I moved when I was 13, I think it was changing schools. Right. In that school was the future Devo. Wow, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. Went, I went to school with Mark Mothersbaugh was like three or four years older. He was, you know, and that's a lot when you're N- now was, in high school. Was he kind of known, though, around? I mean, uh, was Bob, he? well, our, I recently talked to my uh, high school buddy who I'm doing a music project with. It turns out our principal was a musician. Okay. So during the hour and a half lunch period for all four grades, we were able to, op- the gymnasium was open to play music. No, this instruments. Is, this was in Akron. This is around Akron. Okay, okay. It was okay. Woodridge High School. Okay. And um, so there'd be instruments set up in the gymnasium. Um, I remember seeing Bob Mother's Ball playing a clear, uh, those clear Armstrong, I think they were yeah. guitars. Uh, not sure the brand name, but, uh, and we'd just have fun playing. And there were a lot of bands in that. So just the jam in, in the school. gym at it lunch. It was a small school. Yeah. The curriculum was, I don't know, 700 for all four grades. So Yeah. Um, it wasn't, uh, a big school, but so you're, so you're essentially playing every day a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're a teenager, there's lots of other interests like <laughs> girls and cars, which, which and, can tie in with the music. <laughs> that's right. It can, it can. Uh, I don't know when I actually like got real serious, but I know when I, well, I do know that. I know when I heard Dwayne Allman, I heard at Fillmore East, a live recording of the Allman brothers. And mm-hmm. I was like, who is that in what are they doing and who are they? You know, I mean, yeah. it was the slide guitar Dwayne was playing on Statesboro Blues. I just never heard it before. With he, the with the medicine bottle? Yeah, was the that? medicine bottle. Just And the band was just killer. That album still stands today as one yeah. of the best. And uh, that's when I really got serious. I think I was 16 or 17. So, okay, so you hear Dwayne Allman and it, mm-hmm. it hooks. It's yeah. This is it. Mm-hmm. Did you try to play like him? I did. I, I, I went and I bought a Les Paul because I was working with yeah. my dad in the summers. Uh, Was that, were they pretty expensive then? Yeah, I think, I think 73 I bought a new one. So okay. I was 17 or 18. Okay. Uh, probably 18. And yeah. um, it was $400. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, serious, yeah. But I made $7, $8 an hour. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, remember, wages have not really gone up. True. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Back then, when you made seven dollars, man, it was a lot of money. It's yeah. like making thirty today, probably. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I bought a Les Paul, and, and then James Taylor hit. James Taylor, Kenny Loggins, and I could always sing. Okay. I was always singing, so I gravitated towards after a couple of years towards the acoustic guitar, and that's what I've been doing since twenty. I was so, 20. was it hard to put the electric away? No, I still have one and own them and play them. I put yeah. a lot of time in uh, so, working stuff off of records, you know. So did you kind of go in the opposite, you know, or uh, like Keith Richards' advice, you should always go acoustic first, and then the electric was the award, I did reward, go electric, but, yeah, because in, yeah. when I was, you know, 10 yeah. or 11, whenever it was, uh, I'm, I'm thinking I was 10, 65, because the Beatles were 64. Uh, we bought that electric guitar and, yeah. and an amp. My dad went and bought this big amp in, in a at a pawn shop, and right. it was a Harmony 440. It was basically the twin reverb 
of for harmony. Nice. And it was loud. Turn that thing down. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no one wanted an acoustic guitar, did they? I mean, no, not then. You know, even Dylan didn't want an acoustic no. at that time. You know, everyone was going electric. So yeah, I mean, and you know, Dylan had had his first record, but I didn't hear about him till maybe sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Okay. Um, and uh, of course, songwriting and so. So what about uh, what about James Taylor? What was what was different with him than you know what hooked? I guess it's just you know any kind of music to me that's genuine. The right. Beatles were genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I could tell if something's put together and somebody's producing it or yeah. versus, I, I mean, I gravita- always gravitated towards the old blues guys and I never really knew why until I realized it's the genuine sound and feeling, the honesty. It's That's raw. That's them. Yeah. It's raw. It's, yeah. it's them. And rock bands have it, not all of them. Right. Um, and especially the 60s music. Right, right. I mean, it was before the business took over and started doing the cookie cutter thing. Yeah. It's got to be this. It's got to be that, you know. It's got to be the, this long. Right. Uh, two down two three, minutes, yeah. 38 seconds is all we want. Yeah. Uh, whatever. And um, so I'm, I'm always attracted to something genuine. So when did you start? Um, and I think James is genuine just to answer that yeah no you know, no yeah very much just so who he is and lucky for him it's made him a lot of money have you seen and i don't know if it's a youtube series i know they're on youtube his like james taylor how to tune a guitar and james taylor how to someone's told me about some of that but i've never checked it I, out i watched I spent, a couple i spent so much time with james on yeah. records yeah it, um, it was just interesting i've watched a couple minutes of it and i was like man james is intense you know like yeah. he's gonna make sure this guitar is tuned and, yeah yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm too sloppy i was like yeah. this is this well, is beyond me and you know he's talking about his nails and how he was it i don't know acrylic whatever he put stuff on his nails to keep them yeah know, his guitars when i think back saying that now when i when i think back uh, there's nothing out of tune on his records right versus right. bob dylan where some of his records his guitar is out of tune yeah uh, it just is and you know most people don't know it but a musician can hear yeah, it you'd pick up on it james forget it yeah, he's yeah, he's you know, he's on it. He's on. He's point. on it. You know, you don't even think about it. So, when did you first like get into a studio? When did you first record something? Um, you know, that's a good question. I would I would say I probably did it with um, with Rebirth, nineteen seventy eight. We moved to Atlantic City. Okay. Um, after the Akron, yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. M- my dad got a, another job. With a contract, oh, same contractor moved to South Florida, so we they went to South Florida, and I joined them later in '74, I think. Okay. And went to some open mics down there. Down in Florida. Yeah, and okay. met, met some musicians, and we ended up. One of them was from Atlantic City. The casinos were just being built. Yeah. He said, "There's a lot of gigs going on up in Atlantic City." I said, "Well, let's go," because by that point, my parents had showed me that it's okay to travel. At 13, we left. Uh, yeah. Kensington, Lower Borough, went to Akron, Akron, then they went to Fort Lauderdale and I joined them. And um, I'm like, oh, this is fun traveling. Right. Let's do right. it. Okay, yeah. let's go to Atlantic City. Let's get out there. So you are you recorded in Atlantic City in then? In Atlantic City in Vetner, which is the neighboring little town oh, right inside it's Atlantic like, City. It's like we're playing Monopoly here. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. The streets on that. <laughs> right. So we lived on 17th South Michigan Avenue. Nice. Yes. It's always important to get that next to Indiana, right? <laughs> the... Um, so you, um, so did you, I mean, were you with a band or was it just you? It or? was a trio. Okay. We had a trio. It was another singer player like okay. myself and then a flute player 
who also played a little guitar and he sang bass. He could had that low, and it was fun. We yeah. did originals mostly. I think all that's all we did. Really. So did you all gig around in Atlantic City, or we did you did. tour a little bit, or would we, you? We gigged around Atlantic City. Chris ended up leaving. Uh, well, I met Melissa, and mm-hmm. I was just completely gone meeting her. Yeah. And I did some things that band members are known to do, like Neil Young, or just, just get disinterested because you've got something else going. And when I did that, He's Chris, kind of infamous for that, isn't yeah, he? That's Chris his... just left, and I'm like, well, where are you going? You know, he goes, yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'm just, you know. Yeah. Anyway, he, he ended up going back to Florida, and it was Ray and I. Yeah. And Ray and I were playing one night out in a little club, and this older gentleman leaves a card. At the end of the song, I look at it. It says Atlantic City Union 661708. I know that because later I had to join it. And um, I thought, oh, this guy wants us to join the union. And I took it to and showed the music store owner in Atlantic City. He goes, oh, no, that's Cy Zetner. Cy Zetner, he's the new music director at the casino they're building. You see that crane? He's going to be the music director. He probably wants to hire you guys. This is what you do. He goes, call him up. He goes, he's going to want to come. He's going to want you to come see him. You go see him. You sit down, talk to him. Tell him you want a thousand a night because he's going to ask you what you want. I said, a thousand a night. I said, we just made $30 last night each. And I'm like, happy. He goes, trust me, do this. Sure enough, we called him up. He says, can you guys come over? I want to talk with you a little bit. Okay. We come over. We're sitting there, long hair, beard. And, uh, he says, I love you guys. I love what you're doing. You're not doing that top 40 commercial crap. You're doing stuff that's real. And uh, I, I said, well, thank you. He goes, I want to hire you for the Punchbowl Lounge when we open up next August. What do you want tonight? I mean, it was like he was doing exactly what Like Tony falling in steps, right? I said, a thousand a night would be great. And he, I can't, I can't really repeat what he said, but he stood up on his desk and he looked at me. He said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I messed that up. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm 21 or two. Yeah, yeah. And uh, or three or I don't know. But um, anyway, he goes, ah, I like your style. He runs, leans back, opens a file drawer, throws a contract in front of him. He goes, that's what I can pay you. That's what I'm paying this duo out in Vegas. And they've been with me for five years. Okay. It was $1,750 a week for the two of us. I'm like, I don't know, Ray. What do you think? He goes, you guys are killing me. <laughs> You guys are, you know you're going to take this. I go, you're right. He goes, who put you up to this? I said, Tony over at the music store. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to have a talk with Tony. <laughs> anyway. So you got $17.50 a week. A week. And that we kept that gig for a year. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I mean. That was great. I gained weight. It would be hard not to take that to now. Dinner. Melissa I mean, and I would t- go out to dinner all the time. And nice. It was fabulous. So living in Lang City, did you like Lang City? It was great. It was just growing then. Yeah. You know, there was two or three casinos. So how often did you play a week then? That we played, I think, six nights. It could have been five, but I think it was six. How were you playing long sets or more than once we a night? We did four hours a night. Okay. You know, from five to nine. So is it like in a lounge, like people are drinking yeah, in the back? Yeah, it's in a I mean, lounge kind of, okay. where people would sit after they'd lost money or won money yeah. or waiting for dinner. There, you know. Okay. There was a nice restaurant, you know, 100 feet away. So, okay. So, out of Atlantic City, where was your next move? Uh, Atlantic City, then New York State, because Melissa's parents were from New York State. Okay. I met Melissa okay. during this at a college out yeah. in, um, in South Jersey, okay. Stockton State College. And uh, my life changed with her. Yeah. Um, coal mining town to Park Avenue. I go to meet her family. This is great because, uh, you know, I'm scared. I'm really nervous. 
and her mother's as sweet as can be, and she's cooking all afternoon, and I'm playing her music, and she's loving it, and I'm feeling good. Her dad walks in, and her dad says, Hi, nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. I'll be right back. And um, anyway, so he comes back, and I really can't tell you the actual story. (laughs) Um, But we hit it off really well. Good. Uh, And he never... Looked down his nose at me. Here I am. So okay. So wait a minute. So this is your your wife? No, this is no, this is my late fiance. Okay, your late. She fian- ended up passing away okay. seven years. Okay, so your late fiance, and you're meeting her parents. Her parents. And what does her father do? I assume he's the a way mortgage. You told- he's a mortgage banker in New York City. New York City sounds pretty. He gave Donnie Trump. That's what he called him. Donnie Trump. His first loan. Get out. That's right. And Donnie turned around and tried to rip him off. <laughs> So this guy had seen them all. I mean, yeah. I imagine the He's, world of New York City real yeah. estate is pretty yeah. cutthroat, probably it's, to say the yeah. least. Mike was, Mike was, I didn't know about Mike's professional career until he died four years ago at his funeral. Okay. Every major mortgage banker in Manhattan was there, and Mike was known as the hammer. Okay. Donnie's dad used to call Mike when Donnie couldn't close a deal. Okay. And a half hour later, this guy, this is a eulogy, everybody come out of the office laughing. The deal was done. So everybody he, was happy. He goes, Mike, he was the hammer, and everybody loved him. That's the kind of guy he was. Now, here I am a, from a coal mining town, a musician, yeah. dating a daughter whose father is very wealthy on Park Avenue. Okay. And he treated me like gold. So you just Every got in. Every second that I've ever known him. So. And I've never watched, never saw him look down his nose at anybody. Yeah. And her mother later became Walter Cronkite's chief of staff. Okay. And that's how I ended up meeting Walter and spending holidays with him. So, so, so let's let's, let's dig in that a little bit because we don't. Yeah, we, yeah. I don't well, often get Walter Cronkite stories in my day. <laughs> so, so yeah. at what time is this? Is this after his post? You know, when he retired from CBS. Is, he's, he's not. He's retired from CBS. Okay. Yes. And Marlene is his chief of staff, Melissa. So she's, bo- I mean, because he, he was, I mean, he lived yeah, he a very worked. active life the last Absolutely. 20 whatever until years. So. He, until, unfortunately, he um, had dementia. He was no longer. But Marlene continued to work for him. So it was her job to schedule. Schedule him, be there for him, make sure he, the one time she wasn't there, she stayed because we were coming back uh, to visit. And she stayed for the weekend and he was on Martha's Vineyard. Uh-huh. And Mar- I was, we were watching the show with Marlene, and she's looking at the camera angle on him, and she goes, he's going to kill me. <laughs> he's going to kill me. He's gonna- and sure enough, he called a half hour later and said, I'm never doing this without you again. If I didn't love you, I'd fire you. And because uh, I guess his camera, you know, looking at the camera was up. Your camera yeah. producer might we're, know. We're still looking for a good angle what? for me. So I, I understand <laughs> yeah, exactly. that. So we're still, still, still struggling on that. Yeah, so, but, uh, so, she, so, she, her, so it was her job to work for Walter Cronkite. And then so through her, you got to meet him. Got to meet him. And, and, and then Melissa's father's uh, father, okay. Melissa's grandfather, was in show business in New York. So yeah. I spent many time, many days with lots of celebrities. Well, so, so um, okay, so what was Walter Cronkite? Like, was that, Walter what was, was that great. Like? Walter was as, as good, as just as nice a man as he is that we all, Uncle Walter, right? It, it was real. It was real. See, yeah, oh, he was fun. Just, he yeah, because you met, who, who wouldn't he, he known, right? Yeah, like, he, he was fun. He signed, he signed a guitar for me. He said, I've never signed a guitar. And I was, it was Thanksgiving. We were watching football and I'm on the, the, the mute was on and I'm strumming guitar yeah. and he's sitting here. And I said, Walter, have you ever signed a guitar for anybody? He goes, no, I don't believe I have. 
So we got a pen, and the back of the headstock, he wrote the date. Yeah. I think it was uh, 11-27-2006. Okay. Wow. And um, So now, and I just remember you telling me this. I don't know why my mind hooks mm-hmm. on this memory, but so near the end, he had, mm-hmm. was it Alzheimer's? Or? He had dementia. So he's struggling through that, obviously, right. and but um, something about drumming was healthy for him. Yeah. he Mickey Hart. Adored Walter of the uh, of the, the Grateful, Grateful Dead. Dead. He yeah. adored Walter, and unfortunately, I've never met Mickey. But I we almost I almost was lucky enough to spend a little time yeah. with him Thanksgiving. But he ended up going to uh, Great Britain. Yeah. Now, not a lot of podcasts can I get in a Donnie Trump reference, a Grateful Dead <laughs> reference, right. and a Walter Cronkite yeah, reference. This well, is see, it's good. It's just, it only gets better. It only gets and, better. And, yeah. and it all happened with a, a meeting of Melissa. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, mm-hmm. so, so, what would Mickey do for? Mickey had drums. Everywhere Walter was known to spend time, his apartment in New York, Marlene's apartment in New York, Mm -hmm. um, and their country house, which is upstate in Carmel, New York, there were were a set of uh, Taos drums, hand drums. Okay. Three of them. Yeah. And so Walter would like to sit around and, you know, drum them. He had a nice rhythm. So there's photos of him and me playing. I would play music. Yeah. And he would, you know, sit and drum and... One great photo of him and me is we just happened to end at exactly the same time on this one song. Yeah. And we looked at each other and he puts his hand up and I and I'm shaking hands and we're both laughing. And Marlene just happened to be there with yeah. the camera, which is great. So I have that hanging in my house. That's right. Really I was cool. I said, Walter, uh, can I tell people I've been in the Walter Cronkite band? He goes, Oh, I don't know if it'll do you any good, but yes, you can. <laughs> That is amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, and I did ask him, I said, so what do you think of the news these days? And he said, 24-7. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's not enough content said, to when I was on. a young man, we would, to get, you know, one half hour's worth of news that was the truth with three references or whatever the yeah. rule of thumb is with those guys, so we'd work all week just yeah. to get a half hour. Well, I mean, just thinking just in just a so, short period of time of how, you know, growing up that six o'clock for local, 630 for national yeah. was, that was engraved. I mean, it didn't matter where you were, you were watching I mean, and how that's just, I don't even think of it. I mean, no. just don't, that's not even, yeah, not, he not even the consciousness. No, yeah. So. So you can put it on. So it's, it's entertainment now. It's, it's opinionated. News. And it's, and it's that's what he said. It's opinionated yeah. news. It's too much. Too what do you much. believe? He goes, read. He goes, Go online and read. You'll 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 find a truth in there somewhere. <laughs> if you read, so. which we always like to hear. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, exactly. that's, that's, that's a good thing from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you've you've recorded a lot of things with a lot of different people. Played with a lot of different I people. Have, yeah. um, from uh, from musicians to uh, uh, world famous news reporters. Um, <laughs> what? How? It's a little bit about your creative creative process. Like when you write a song, or even when you. Um, take another person's song because I kind of think once you start singing, it's yours. You know, like it's mm-hmm. you, you got to make it your own, or it's never you never connect if you you know if you can yeah. make it your own. But what? How do you you know like in a songwriting process? How do you, how do you do that? What's your process? Well, I usually wait for songs to come. Okay, it's usually a feeling where you could you could feel something happening inside, and you say, "Well, I better go grab my guitar." Yeah, and I have something similar to that little recorder sitting there. Yeah, uh, with in my guitar case and I'll click it and throw down a first verse or a music idea. So do you start with lyrics first or do you start with music first? Music a lot of times. Okay. Sometimes lyrics just pop out. Right, and right. I'm finally getting pretty good at it. I yeah. mean, I've always been driven to write songs. Yeah. Um, 
I can't say that be, because I met so many great songwriters in my life. Yeah. I've been intimidated. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, there is one thing which I've mentioned before that the only thing you have to worry about when writing a song is be genuine. Yeah. If you're genuine, it'll be a good song. Someone will say, you know, that's a pretty good tune. Well, what was it? Um, so you have to be genuine. I always liked, uh, I think it was David Bowie was like, if I like it, then someone else will because I'm not that unique. <laughs> which yeah. I don't know if that was exactly what he said, but you know, along those I mean, lines, which, highly, which he was that unique. But He was. He was a highly creative. But person. having said that, I, I thought that was always an encouraged thing to yeah. tell any uh, music creator, any, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. If, yeah. if you're taking some pride in it and you get it, yeah, so there's another. You got or an Somebody audience. else will get it. I mean, listen to some of the Lou yeah. Reed stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like well, that's that, out you there. You talk about genuine. I mean, really, most people would say Lou Reed didn't have a great voice, but he yeah. did because he he was doing Lou Reed. I think that's the key. It's and genuine. Again, if, if you write your own stuff, you can kind of have a bad voice you if you're can. doing your own. If you're doing your own music, Ian you, Hunter, yeah, said Bob Dylan made it okay for me to sing and everybody else that. Doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, and, and I don't. I, I, I would. I don't. I'm, I'm awful at remembering uh, anything, or if I have to repeat anything, I'm just just the worst at it. But I, I don't know how his memory retention from his, his songs. I mean, they're Bob, yeah, seven well, verses. Some of them are long, yeah. yeah, seven verses, and he's a brilliant guy. I mean, just I mean, that's just to me that's very impressive. I know maybe that's missing the whole point of what he's all about, but yeah. it's those little niche things that I kind of like. It's true. Wow, you know, yeah, you memorize that, but he'd probably forget. You know, to meet you somewhere if you if you're his friend and said, "Hey, can we can we meet next week?" He, he might forget to show up. I you know, I heard a story completely just getting off the track, but where Bob was watching Seinfeld and he wanted to do a special like Bob Dylan like version of Seinfeld, mm-hmm. and so someone heard this and a bunch of people started working on it, and then he decided, "Nah, Bob Dylan doesn't want to do that." <laughs> he just walked out of the room like he had a meeting with all these people, oh, and they were going to make like you know, and he just decided. It's not for me. It he wasn't just, feeling right. Just walked away. It was an idea that when he really thought about it, wasn't working. That probably have been the most esoteric show ever. I read think that would have been pretty cool. <laughs> it would have been out there. It Talk been... about ratings. I think that that would have uh, gotten a lot of ratings. So now you let's say you let's say in the theory like you got a song done. How long would you kind of play? Would you would you kind of take it out a little bit, play some gigs with it yeah. before? Well, there's a great thing that the reason I'm in town tonight is uh, there's a songwriters uh, thing hosted by a guy named Pat Who Kennedy. Okay. And uh, it's a songwriters open mic, and the rule is you got to play your own tunes. Now, there's nothing like playing one of your songs in front of people. Yeah. For that song will tell you what's wrong with it. It will tell you as you're performing it, it will say that verse wasn't good. Yeah. It, it, so when you perform it in front of people, the song will let you know what's working in case you don't know. Sometimes you just know and it works. But a lot of times um, when, you, when you, it, you're not Bob Dylan or yeah. somebody, when things just aren't working, um, you don't know. So actually right. tonight I have a new song that popped out, ten, one of those 10-minute songs. Yeah. And uh, it's called Fly Away. I can't wait to play it tonight because in my mind, it's like, this is a pretty good song, but it will let me know later. So who are you getting feedback from then? Is it just you just internally? Not, just, it's not feedback that anybody says anything. Okay. You just know. It's internal. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's internal. You know. The energy that you get back after yeah, playing it. You know it. that, oh, that verse. So how far, that worked, that how, how far are you into a song before you know it's, it's, it's where you it want it to be? It depends on the verse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at this point in my career, even if I feel like, oh, that wasn't working, you just still give it your 100% effort. Yeah. And, um, and then the applause will tell you. 
Yeah. You know, people, whether it's polite or whether it's a little bit enthusiasm, and, and it is a bar room. So it's not like it'd be the, like the library jobs yeah. are, you know, libraries are wonderful for lots of things um, where people are plotting, you know, and it's quiet. It's, yeah. it's a bar room. So if it's a slow ballad, the three or four people listening, you can tell by their enthusiasm. I, yeah, I always so. joke about that because I think you and I have had this conversation maybe at a, at a previous library I was at, but, if, you know, you compare playing in a public library if you get a chance compared to some of the dive bars you go to, mm. and you're just like, oh, man, it's nice to play in a library. <laughs> it's just nice. It's, it's, it's a concert. Yeah, it's, it's, it's clean. People are appreciative. Yeah. I mean, it's just a different... It is. You don't know what you're I, getting into in some of these bars when you play out, you know, you just which is part of the background. fun. Your background. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. Your background, everybody's there at a party. The, the, the owner wants to sell as many beers without getting in trouble as he can, putting somebody out on a street that can't drive. Right, right. Um, excuse me. And so... Yeah, it's uh, the bar gigs are it's just a good world. practice. You can get a lot of practice in. Nobody's listening. Let's try that once. <laughs> there is a freedom. There is a freedom yeah. in that, right? Well, you know? I, like I was telling you before, the Crow Daddies, uh, the duo I have with Dennis, uh, we've never had a rehearsal. Right. It's We've always just played clubs. And between us, we played 112 years. Yeah, yeah, you got it down. Because he's 72 and I'm 63. Nice. You know, he started in like 1960. Isn't that kind of encouraging, though? You know, yeah. you can, you know that you can be seventies, eighties, yeah, and that and then it never goes away. It doesn't. No, whatever you that want is, to do it forever. Whatever that creating process is, that you, it's like you chase it. It doesn't. I've often wondered when I was young, I, I and I look forward to see what would happen with some of our old rockers too. Yeah, like yeah. Paul McCartney. It's great to see mm-hmm. him. He takes great care of himself. Right. Um, yeah, and he's still doing. It. He still sounds amazing. Well, I even think like even the case, let's say like of the Who, where it's, you know, just things have changed. I mean, yeah. you know, you lose members and stuff like that. And, right. And but, you know, and, and I, I think I can't remember what I was in this conversation with, but they're like, you know, wh- why would you still do that? And I was like, where else are you going to get that high? Where else is that rush going to come from of yeah. breaking into Bob O'Reilly? Like where I mean, like it was magic. You know, so why do you want to stop? Which they created magic, those which, bands, which makes Robert Plant even more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and that there's a guy who could just. Seems like he can go in any direction he wants. He can. Whenever he wants and just... I mean, he turned down, what, $500 million? Yes. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Who can turn down that kind of money? I Obviously, if you, he's always been a sensible guy. Yeah. Yes. He, he, he didn't have an easy life, so he's... Yeah. I'm sure he's a neat guy. So, so a little bit about your kind of your writing. So kind of just, you don't, you're not really, it's not, um, it's not Tin Pan Alley. You're not trying to churn out no. songs. It's when, when it comes to you and then yeah, you kind of capture that thought. It's, and, a ho- it's a hobby for me. Um, I, I've never made my living as a songwriter, so it's just something I've always done. Yeah. Um, so now to try to, I guess, kind of segue. So mm-hmm. obviously you, the passion's there. Yeah. How did you, how did you get into creating instruments for a living well i again uh, melissa my fiance that i met yeah. whose mother she passed away in 1986 from asthma okay when she passed away her mother and father said to me you're not getting away you're our son mm. you we love you we hope that you stick around and stay around so i did yeah and, and her father started after a year her father started fixing me up with all these great ladies and 
just to do something, you know. And this is living in Manhattan? Or? I, was out, I was living in their country house upstate. Okay, okay. At that time, Mike and Marlene, Melissa's parents, were divorced. Okay, On okay. very good terms, but yeah. divorced. And Mike said, go stay in a country house. I'm never there. And just fix it up, which I redid his floors because I worked in construction yeah. all my life off and yeah. on. So I, I did a lot of stuff to pay the rent. Redid his bathrooms. Redid you his earned floors. your keep. I did. You were you were not and the Cato Kalen here. I yes. was doing gigs upstate New York and in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, and um, and Manhattan. I played all the neat clubs in Manhattan. Yeah. And um, Mike, her father, uh, knew everybody, and I met these people through him. And one of them was vice president of ABC Sports, Steve Solomon. Okay. Steve contracted Hank Jr. to do that Monday night football segment. And, of course, in the business, it's all favors. Who right. do you know in favors? Yeah. And um, so, Steve, I had just put out... When Melissa passed away, I went into the studio for therapy, and I ended up doing a record, a whole record. Yeah. And I put it out on cassette. And uh, Steve talked to Hank's manager and says, Hey, this is my friend, Jamin. Can you do anything for him? Merle Kilgore was his manager. Who okay. wrote Ring of Fire with June Cash, you know, yeah. well known in, in his own right. And uh, I get a call from Merle. Hey, Jamin, this is Merle Kilgore. I didn't know who I was talking to. I didn't know it was the Merle Kilgore who wrote Ring of Fire. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, Steve told me you might call. He goes, I love your stuff. He goes, uh, if, if Jim Ed Norman signs you, I'll manage you. Jim Ed Norman, Jim Ed Norman. I looked him up, you know, yeah. for as much as I could back then. He was president of Warner Brothers Nashville. So a little, we, little record label yeah, there. Yeah. So hey, a little indie. A week later, I get a call from Jim Ed. Yeah. And my wife says, Jamin, get up, get up, get up. It's Jim Ed. It was probably 10 o'clock, and I was working late all the time. So, <clears throat> hi, this is Jamin. He goes, uh, hi, this is Jim Ed Norman, president of Warner Brothers Nashville. He goes, uh, Merle Kilgore says he'll manage it if we can get you signed. And I'm just calling to talk with you a little bit. I sound, I'll back up a little bit, I sound, I'm a folk singer. I'm okay. a folky rock. Dan Fogelberg, James Taylor. Right, right, right. Garth Brooks had just been signed with Clint Black, and, you know, they sing with those kind of a country twang, which is not yeah. Yeah. genuine. But yeah, it's, it's not there. It's not you. It's put in, yeah. put on. Yeah. And I told Jim Ed in our conversation, look, I, I can't sing with it. I'm not going to sing with a fake country accent. Right, right. He said, well, we wouldn't want you to. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so that fell through. And when that fell through, I knew that if I got that close, that I better figure something else out to do for a living. Because uh, Wendy, my wife, who Melissa's father fixed me up with, we were married. He was our best man. Wow. Um, she was pregnant. Okay. And so I it's thought, well, life's happening. Life's happening. Yeah. So I thought I was looking through the then brand new publishing uh, company that published um, Acoustic Guitar Magazine, and there was an ad in the back for a place in Saskatchewan for a seven-week seminar on how to build a guitar. Okay. And my wife says to me, you know, that sounds like just enough information to be dangerous. If you want to do this, you should look for a school. So I called the Martin Company, a guy named Mike Longworth. Martin is Martin Guitars, right? Martin Guitar. Mike Longworth got on the phone and said something about Red Wing, Minnesota, a one-year course Mm -hmm. in building and repair. And I called, and long story short, I ended up moving out there for a year, the whole family. We spent uh, $30,000 in savings. 
yeah. uh, to for schooling and to rent a house for 10 months. Our daughter was then, by that time, she was two. Okay. We left school. She was three. Yeah. End of the year, we have no money, and our apartment in New York is rented. And the phone rings at school, and the teacher announces that morning that there's a job opening in Cincinnati. It's a salary plus commission, full benefits, and a retirement fund. And they're looking for an older guy, and he kind of looked at me. And I was 34. Yeah. Everybody else is on their parents' ticket. They're 18, 19, 20, smoking pot. (laughs) And uh, I was serious. None of that stuff for me. And so I stood up, finished my resume, got the guy on the phone, made it to the post office to overnight him my resume within like four hours. It was on its way to Cincinnati. Yeah. Next day, I called him, and I had a plane reservation. By the next evening, I had a plane reservation to fly back in a week for an interview. And that's how I ended up in Cincinnati. And Buddy Rogers Music was a great company to work for. You were with them for a number of years. 12 years. Okay. so They were the last company, no kidding, in our country that anyone knows about, because I would go to uh, guitar maker and repair symposiums every year. All the repair guys and guitar makers, I'd tell them my deal, salary plus benefits, full package. they go, yeah. that's what they give you? Yeah. He goes, let me know if you ever leave. <laughs> let me know if you ever leave that job. I'll take that job. And so I realized how lucky I was a couple of years into You're it. You're in the right place. Yeah. They, they really cared about repair. Yeah. I mean, they still, that's what they do today. They have a band repair. That's all they do now. They, don't, they got blasted by the big corporation music stores so they're no no longer in business selling combo stuff who are who are not struggling too with the the irony of all things yeah the um so how did 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 learning that much about a guitar did that change your relationship with the music at all i mean it did, did it, but i had all at that point i was already setting up my instruments and some friends you'd always kind of that always been kind of your thing i mean my, you, my this dad, was an interest yeah i i grew up working with my hands right i was with my father doing everything around the house always and my dad was one of those master craftsmen i mean yeah. cabinet he could make a cabinet that would look beautiful he 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 hated hacks yeah. one of his things was people who hack stuff up ah. yeah so he's one of the less so he taught me a lot so you Working with my hands. You had that kind of, for lack of a better term, that Midwest pride. I did. And, of, and of creating uh, as far as... Well, you it, do it yourself. Right, right. Your name's you don't on take it, right? Your, you don't take... My mother, to her dying day, couldn't believe that I made a living repairing instruments. Well, don't, doesn't everybody do that for themselves? <laughs> no, Mom. I've, I'm doing okay here. I may have taken guitars to Jamin, so... I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were just that generation where course, they did everything themselves. Of course, fixing my own guitar, I never would have heard of the Ralter about Walter Cronkite, so I feel yeah, like it yeah. was all kind of worth yeah, it, you know, like it's all that it's stuff. It's good to know and, you, Sean. And it'll be it broken, is. too, on top Thank of that. Let's, let's, yeah. My incompetence, along with a very good storyteller, are just two wonderful reasons to uh, well, to, to bring that. I've, I've always enjoyed that. Um, well, I mean, not everybody is that... I I'm obviously grew up around people who work with their right, hands. Not right. everybody grows up around those people. No, yeah, so. no, it's a different. It's definitely a different yeah. mentality. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's, and it's, and it's not like it's going away. It just always kind of changes. And there's a group yeah. of people who... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's uh, you know thinking back with with Mike again and redoing his work around his house. You go, how do you do that? I mean, he he was he worked with his mind. I mean, yeah, he was you know numbers. So what is from from a business side and going through it? What is some uh, kind of advice you'd have to other creators out there listening of, of of publishing and how to go through that or or you know that kind of the whole self publishing and kind of 
I mean, what works for you is what I'm getting at. You want to copyright your songs. Okay. That's the main thing before you get them out there. Now, how do you do that? Um, You could do it. I don't know. Does the library have copyright forms? They used oh, to. Okay, used so you, to, you just go online and my lo- library in Mount Kisco, New York. Oh, really? Okay. They used to, they used to have them there. I don't, it's yeah. probably online now. Yeah. Now it is online actually. Cause so so you copyright your songs did last year? Um, yeah, which I need to do. <laughs> I, got all, I got a whole couple dozen which I need to do because you never know when someone's going to take them or hear it and by accident go write the same song. Right. I mean subconscious. Well, that's always like you know the. The lawsuits are the whole story of where yeah. Hotel California came from, and who's yeah. who's to who did the original and this chord progression. And there's only, you know, there's only what seven, right? You're yeah. you're in a limited. There's only you know twelve musical notes. Yeah, so you're, you lim- you're everything's so, gonna sound like everything, right? So. I was in a Pizza Hut one night, and Garth Brooks came on, and he was singing a melody that I'd written, and it was written by a guy named Pat Alger, and Pat's from New York State, where I'm from. Yeah, and I had to think. I used to play that song a lot. Was Pat having dinner one night in the audience? Yeah. Because the melody, I, it was so close that I actually got my tapes from the Library of Congress. Okay. And I tried to get a lawyer involved. Wow. Went to work for her last summer. Lonely kid so far from home. That's the melody. Yeah. My words are, will we ever get it right? Will we ever sing the same song? I mean, it's like the, when it comes to the chorus, it changed. But yeah. but again, when you listen to I couldn't get any lawyer involved, even with Mike's help, because yeah. they said, you know what? That's a generic kind of melody. And I'm like, generic melody? What? Anyway, yeah. I gave up on it. <laughs> generic melody. It's, you know, you're a musician. It's a G to uh-huh. E minor okay. to D to C. With a B minor in there sometimes. Yeah, and yeah. That's just a. It has been used. The Beatles used yeah, it. Yeah. But still, it was a melody. B, B minor comes up a lot in the Beatles. It doesn't does. it? Yeah, yeah it comes yeah. up a lot. They it wrote comes. a lot of minors, which didn't happen until them. I, lo- I mean, they, some, their progressions were very progressive. There's something about the sound of a minor. You know, it just sounds obviously supposed to be dark, but I, I like well, it. Well, like when it a lot. you're doing a major song, when you throw the relative minor in, yeah, it it makes everybody listen again. It's like, oh, there's a change. Even if it's a subconscious yeah. thing, you go, "Oh, there's a change. What's that?" Yeah. So you want to throw the minors. I mean, that's I important. probably, I also probably like the minors because I could play an E minor pretty easy. Yeah, <laughs> I can, I can figure that out. F minor, not so much. It's, uh, <laughs> I can't quite borrow that, you know. But yeah. E minor, you're, you're like, oh yeah, I can handle that. But no, one day I worked, I worked out. I wanted to know what Mozart, what chords Mozart used. Yeah. And being an ear player, I've worked everything out by record which is an impressive ability by the way to be an ear player well it, it is my dad someone who does not that. have that ability I'm yeah really i used to with. have uh no shoes or socks and a turntable would be right here and i would use my toe and i would back up the, the record and hear that riff and let it go <laughs> and i would back it up some more now that's a process right yeah, there yeah. that is a that's a unique process yeah. i like that i don't know yeah. if a lot of people are doing the uh, no, record I think to toe more method. than me did it because I was really yeah. excited when I heard Dwayne Allman used to do that. Yeah. And I did it because I was living in South Florida at the time, and you didn't really wear shoes. So Well, there you, yeah, there or you go. you throw them off and, you know, walk around. But anyway, so so I worked out once. This is interesting. Just real quick as yeah. another musician. I worked out a Mozart progression. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And it was the exact same chords. And, of course, in hindsight, any trained musician would say, of course. Yeah. It was... A minor, it was, you know, there is a house, oh. you know that progression. Yeah, of course, Well, yeah. this particular symphony was that progression, A minor, C, 
D, F. I'm like, oh, it's just like what we use today. It's the Man. same stuff. Yeah. What's an experience uh, that you have grown up of your local library? Ah, I love my libraries because I love reading. My mom did read. Yeah. And so, of course, we grew up reading. Yeah. I just finished a novel, um, Band of the Midnight Mercy, I think it was. It was No, what was it called? Oh, it was great. It was a true, based on a true story in Manhattan in the turn of the last century, okay. 1800s and yeah. 1900, about a, a church organization doing, they were slumlords, and they were in the baby business of insuring babies and then buying back the insurance and then with the babies. This is the church? Wow, it was it was pretty. This is some based mi- on a true. These story. are some minor chords we're Band talking of, about here. Band of the Midnight Mercy. It Band was, of the Midnight Mercy. I think that's it. Something so, like that. So is the story about how they caught these people? Yeah, <laughs> how they caught how a reporter for the Herald, I think it was wow. called the Herald. Uh, at least I, it was yeah. in the novel. They probably yeah. changed the name. How he painstakingly, everybody said, "You can't go after them. They're too powerful." Yeah, yeah. He stuck with it, and he. That's cool. Through a lot of physical pain and a lot of mental pain, he he got them. See, I find myself becoming um, an awful reader because I will read and I'll like mm-hmm. something, and then I will put it down and I will start pretending, you know, I know what I'm doing with a guitar, and I will start playing a guitar, yeah. and then an hour later, kind of done with everything <laughs> mentally. Just that, and I yeah. find that I've become a real like in the last year of trying to play guitar that I've it's really destroyed my ability to read. <laughs> it's a long life, Sean. <laughs> So you will get back to it, I promise you. But I always think about that because I always have this list of stuff. You know, obviously working here and yeah, yeah. walk out in the stacks. I'm like, oh, that looks the book looks so good. And then there's like three behind me that I've I've started to read, and then and then all of a sudden that could the, be part of the problem. You working around it. All the the do notice, yeah, like, there's always it something new. Be. Yeah, the yeah. do notice comes up, yeah. and I'm like, oh man, I gotta I gotta I get this about, back. Think about how nice it is when you say, okay, I'm gonna go to bed now. I'm gonna go read. I love that feeling. I'm going to read for the next hour or so. Yeah. Until I kind of pass out. I mean, I love, wintertime to me is great for reading. It's time to recharge, yeah. I read all year long. I have something I'm reading. But um, I'm looking for a new book. I will just finish this one. We'll hook you up before you leave. (laughs) Put you in touch with Karen, actually. She's got some really good recommendations. Yeah, Um, that's nice. No, yeah, it's kind of, when you talk about that, that's always, you know, remember the... uh, because I, I haven't watched the show in years, so I mean, I'm sure they still do it. But the whole Today Show and the hundred year birthdays and stuff, and it always seems like they're from Minnesota and was you know Wisconsin, Upper Michigan, where you hibernate for four months a year. So that's true. <laughs> it recharges you, man. You keep going. You take it, that time. It's true. You slow I it mean, down. You take that time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's good. it feeds the mind. Reading is. Uh, my daughter was voracious reader. She she just read, 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 and she's a good writer. Yeah. It's a good skill to have. She's a, but she's a dental hygienist. Hey, so you're going to write a novel one day, and, and keep writing, keep writing. Oh, Dad, and she was great. She's got heard a little stories when she was yeah. in school. It never goes Always away. Always A, A plus, and the teacher would make notes. Great story, Becca. It never, it'll, it'll never go away. It'll come but back. She, but she never wanted to be an artist. I think you told me once, and I don't know why we we're chatting, but I think you said she was great at guitar. She, could, she she picked it up like me, yeah. although she'd say no. But I, yeah. as a player, you could tell you could tell Sean when you, yeah. when you're if you ever went to teach anybody whether yeah. they're going to be able to oh, do yeah. it or not. It's amazing though. It's amazing can, that yeah. It's I don't know. You can't explain it. You right. know, as, as I try to now, you know, it's a look or something. But just, and I think about that anything. 
music, um, reading, yeah. you know, whatever. It's, yeah. It isn't interesting what they hatch on to. And I guess you could say the same about us. Like, well, why didn't he do X, Y, Z? And it's like, well, I was yeah. programmed to go this way. I, yeah. know, I, I couldn't. That's right. It's like the fate. I had no control. This is, this yeah. is where I was being sent. And <laughs> this is where I followed. I followed and and like, you're um, lucky if you get to follow well, what is uh, what was it? Was it was Bobby Weir that said, uh, "Listen, me, Bobby, like me and him are buddies." But Bob Weir, uh, you know, um, you, you know, you follow the music. I was, I think, I found a little documentary, and then uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it was him, but someone said, you know, the um, we all love music, but music only loves a few of us back, or something like that. Like music doesn't love all of us back. That we, so that's it's, true. And I, yeah. I don't know where I picked that up from, yeah, but that yeah. you know, the, yeah. I, I always love that. Follow the music. You you go where the yeah. music leads you. You do. And it and, and I always say too, my my take on that is it takes listeners. We have to have listeners out there. Yeah. The musicians are always not the best listeners because they're too busy with their own thing. Oh yeah. So it's nice when someone says, you know, I I just couldn't do it. I said, Well, we need li- it takes listeners too. I mean, not everybody's meant to play music. What I always think is funny is when when someone thinks that it's um it's merit based and I'm like it's not. There's some probably poor musicians who's made a great career out of playing music. So it's not yeah. it's not merit based, man. You just got to no. get out there and do it. Just you just do it. You know, like it's you. I, I always think about that, especially if I'm if I'm like trying to play guitar. Because I'm, I mean, I'm just not where I have any confidence or done for a very long period of time. But it's like, well, but I'm doing it. You know, like I always yeah. think about their drumming somewhere and stuff like that. It's just like, well, it's you can you can yeah. take the next gig. This is mine. You know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, get that. You know, I was, I was watching um. Uh, I once saw B.B. King and Bobby Blue's Bland. Bobby Blue Bland. Bobby Blue Bland, yeah. yeah. And he was so great. And I remember, and I, I don't think I knew anything about him. You know, I'm just listening to this guy. And it was at the, the Fox Theater in Detroit. And it was just, it was just How cool. How long ago? Uh, probably 20 years ago. Yeah. And it was just cool. Right. The crowd, like everyone was dressed so nice. You know, I'm looking like a, like a bum. And, uh, and it was like, you could just, there's an energy, man. People came out. This was Detroit. And they were out. And this was their night. And this was, and I just thought it was so funny because he's like, you know, you, you know, he's the middle guy. So this was the Manhattans and Bobby's on stage and he's like, are, are you all ready for BB King? And everyone gets real excited. And he's like, well, that's too bad because I've still got more to say. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is my show. And I, and I thought, I always thought that was just the deanest kind of way to interact. Like, you know, that's fine, but I'm going to yeah. do what I'm going to do. And then, you know, you can, you can, you can have it later, BB. So I just, you know, and obviously I saw guy. them in 76. Where at? Akron. Okay. Went back to visit my old high school buddy, Doug. Doug says, and Doug was always a very unusual guy. He made his own suits. And Doug, <laughs> nice. Doug was just meant to be old and British, I think. Yeah. But he says, we're, we're going to a concert tonight. I'm going to take you to see B.B. King and Bobby Blue Bland. Nice. And so we're young and, yeah. and white skin. And yeah. Oh, yeah. We're the only two white mm-hmm. skinned people there. Mm-hmm. And we're young. Yeah. He goes, don't worry. He goes, they won't bother us at all. I'm like, I'm not worried. <laughs> but it was fun to be there. And Doug, I recently learned that he passed away at yeah. about 63 years old, unfortunately. Wow, yeah. But, um, anyway. It's an experience. So they toured all their lives together. Yeah. Bobby Blue Bland. And oh, Bobby. it's just it's such a it cool experience. And, yeah. I, and I think like that kind of that whole John Cage, you're part of the crowd, you know, and you're taking yeah. that in. And that was yeah. that added just as much to it. It was just, yeah. a, it was just a cool yeah. vibe. I don't know how to explain it. You know, just, yeah. it was like, you know, it's one of those where you... Young enough or whatever to be, but old enough to be conscious of what, I was part of something cool. That's right. You know, and and it really was a big eye opener for me. Oh yeah. You know, just a different. Um, so, it was, so as we completely jump around and just. Yeah, just, sorry about that. No, no, that's me. Dissension of randomness. Um, what are some, uh, what are some live shows that you've seen that you're just like, yeah, that was a really cool show. Uh, Michael Hedges. 
No, who's two that? months before he passed away. Who's he was, Michael Hedges? Michael Hedges brought the fingerstyle. You know all the fancy fingerstyle players you see mm-hmm, these days? Mm-hmm. Well, he was like one of the first. Okay. Windham Hill Records. Okay. Familiar with Windham Hill Records? No. You should get okay. yourself. Okay. I need to get on. You should. Okay. You should. Um, fingerstyle players. It was the first al- uh, record company that would just have fingerstyle players. Like yeah. the kind, you know, you probably had them here playing. Yeah. They don't sing. They just open tunings. Okay. Standard tunings. Yeah. You know, harp guitars. Yeah. And Michael Hedges was one of those. And I saw him at Bogart's and I heard about him a little bit. And he came flying out of the back with his D28, tapping and playing. And I was like. Now, these are acoustic or electric? These are acoustic. Okay, acoustic. I was just, is this God? (laughs) I couldn't believe the tone, the sound, and what he was doing. Yeah. That one stuck with me a long time. Yeah. And then he was from the West Coast. Two months later, he was driving his BMW too fast on 101 out there and went over a cliff. Wow. He was fabulous. Just yeah. fabulous. Now, that one stuck in my head. There's there's a lot of them. Um, John Prine. Oh, nice. Yeah, John's nice. funny. It's crazy as a loon. Crazy as a loon. I mean, he's genuine. Yeah. Anybody that's genuine like that. Oh, I love um, Paradise. Yeah. I love the Jim and Jess version of it. I don't know. There's right amount twang or whatever in it for me, but I just, yeah. I, there's something about that that I don't know. It's just, well, it's, his it's just such a great, great. Yeah, it's just and and if you look at it, it's he's not trying to impress you with how smart he is. I mean, he's just they're, they're nice, no. compact. He's telling a story. He's telling a story. I recently posted on Facebook a few months ago that yeah. I, I prefer Prine over Dylan. Okay. Of course, I got a lot of hits. That's, yeah, that's, that's a take. A that's a hit. take. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I'm going, it's just, John is just, um, Dylan can be a little more abstract. Right. And right. I love that. But John's not abstract. No. And no. It's hard to be non-abstract when you're writing a song. It's one of my, it's hard not to try to let somebody think about something in another way. Yeah. It's very hard to do what John Prine does. Yeah. It really is. It's hard to write direct like that. Well, then it, And then rhyme it. And be clever with it. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah, the whole rhyming, yeah. And it's he does it naturally. Yeah, because it's kind of like if you do too much, it descends into... It does. It's trite. Sl- yeah, a little slappy. Trite. Yeah, a little <laughs> slappiness. It's <laughs> like, know? it's just like... <laughs> I know some people growing up, I was like, I yeah. thought they're great. And I listen to it now, I was like, I, I just can't. I just yeah. can't. So, whatever that's worth. So, okay, so who else? Those are yeah. two really good ones, by the way, though. Yeah. Other? I mean, you know, Dylan, you can. I mean, some of his stuff's not that abstract. But, right. But I'm a, I'm a prying guy. I like prying. I love, love them both. I mean, so um, who is someone you always wanted to see that you never saw? Dwayne. Okay, Dwayne yeah. Allman. Well, he, he was, was 24, before, right? Yeah, he was dead in 1971. I didn't hear him until 73 or 4 or something. Isn't it amazing so, what he did, though? In, in 24 years? Yeah. He was, he was a hard worker. And again, going Man. back to that same old word I'm using, yeah. he was genuine. Yeah, but it just... was what he was. And he didn't... If, if you didn't suit him or if you were uh, too much of the BS, he yeah. had a great detector for that. He'd say, I'll see you later. I yeah. mean, he wanted to be around genuine and he was genuine. Just such a such a compact career. And, yeah. and but everything is still memorable. Layla, right? You know, yeah, Layla. I mean, well he yeah, I mean Clapton will probably tell you to this day that that album may not have been published without Dwayne getting involved. I mean, not, nothing against his yeah. buddies Whitlock and Jim Gordon and Carl Radel, but um who was, he felt like it was just fizzling out for him. Well, that was that's such a tumultuous band. Yeah. And Jim, <laughs> Things went kind of sideways with some yeah. of them pretty yeah. pretty bad, unfortunately. Well, 
One of Clapton's reg regrets in his uh, biography that yeah. I read was um, getting rid of Carl Radel. Okay. Uh, the great bass player. Just a great rhythm bass why, player. Why did you get rid of him? Yeah, just time goes on. and just didn't feel right? Who knows? Kind of like getting rid he of... He probably uh, doesn't know. He, I know he regrets it, but Carl was a great bass player. Jim Gordon was a great drummer, but he was... Uh, oh, yeah, he had some he's demons. In, he's in prison for killing his mother. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, he, was, he was sick. He's... Uh, Kind of like Sid Barrett, but it didn't turn out as... Yeah. And Bobby Whitlock is fabulous. Yeah, that was really... But for some reason, he always manages to uh, to, to just put Dwayne down a little bit because remember, it was Bobby and, and Eric that started that whole project. Yeah. Bobby went over to England and knocked on Eric's door, and Eric says, what are you doing here? He goes, well, you told me to come visit if I'm ever here, so here I am. He goes, yeah. well, come on in. I'm writing songs and stuff. So they started that project, and that Dwayne was such a powerful... That's just my theory. Yeah, man. I know it's probably true. Oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> that Bobby was just a little bit resentful that Dwayne had, that Eric gives Dwayne so okay. much, so many kudos Yeah, for, for making it happen. Because he'll talk about Dwayne being a little out of tune. Well, they had strobe tuners back then, but they didn't have the tuners that you and I use. Right. Right. Put to your guitar. Yeah, he's a second, yeah. And Clapton knew it was a little out, but he said, hey, the feeling is there. It's there. It's, it's, it's all kind, that matters. It's kind of like um, the band, you know, like the faces, early faces and stuff. Yeah. It was like sloppy, Wood. but it was Ron just... Ron Wood's great. I mean... He is amazing. Just oh, amazing. I love I love the loose stuff. Yeah, just completely... Of course, F. Phil Maurice is, is hardly loose. Right, right, right. But the band was great. And that's another thing why... Dwayne to me yeah. it wasn't about him he wasn't the guitar star he would actually give all all the credit to Dickie Betts okay or the drummers or his yeah brother. yeah it wasn't about one guy in that band it wasn't the Jimi Hendrix band it was the Allman Brothers band and you hear that with their live performance it was all about everybody working together and that's another thing that I like everybody's important equally in yeah. a band. if you go approach a band that way the band's going to be great Little Feet's another example of that they are like a machine live. Yeah. They work together. They're incredible. If you ever get a chance, they're still great. I said, I think, I, think I, little feet. I think I saw them 20 years ago in Raleigh. North I'm sure Carolina. you remember it. Yeah, Unless I they did. were too high or something. <laughs> uh, the only the times I've seen them, man, they were they were just draw jaw dropping tight and dynamic and up and down, volume up, yeah. down, get They just connected. They just yeah, man, yeah. just dynamics. That's where it's at. Yeah. Well, Jamin, I really appreciate you coming in and talking with me today. Well, great. I hope I didn't mispronounce any words or say <laughs> something stupid. Well, I mean, there's there's no way you can with it. I, that's what I'm here for. Edit it out if <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I'm guaranteed to have done probably both many, many times yeah, in the course yeah. of the interview. So thank that's you right. so much for joining well, us on this podcast. Welcome, it's a lot of fun. My, my pleasure. Fun. Thanks, Thanks a lot. for having me. My bucket's got a hole in it. Yeah, my bucket's got a hole yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it I can't buy no beer Well, I'm standing on the corner With a bucket in my hand I'm waiting on a woman That ain't got no man My bucket's got a hole in it My bucket's got a hole in it yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it I can't buy no beer